Bible, I want to invite you to grab one, and we're going to be in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 5. Um, I want to just kind of keep looking at this, this idea of in Cedar City as it is in heaven, uh, and look like, and really just kind of talk about what it looks like to live as kingdom citizens so that we could see heaven on earth. Um, this is not a future reality, although it is in some parts, uh, but it is also something that we can have now. Uh, the kingdom of God, his rule is now. And so we want to participate in that. And when we do participate in that, um, I believe we could see that spread in Cedar City. Um, how many of you believe that? I'm just getting some interaction. That's all. Just making sure y'all are awake. Okay, good. So Matthew chapter five, I want to talk about an idea of a flipped kingdom. Jesus has this way of his message where it is counter culture. And Jesus is going to really expose um, the depths of our heart in this, what we know as the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and this right here, I want to focus on just the Beatitudes. And I think if I were to summarize what it looks like for us to be in that kingdom reality and live that out, I, I would describe it from um, this countercultural view of the Beatitudes. So I'm going to just read uh, 12 verses. I'm not going to read the whole Sermon on the Mount. Um, we do have to get out of here at a certain time. So, and I ain't got time for that. I would encourage you to read it. Read your Bible. Pray every day. There's a song about that. Uh, Matthew 5, 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples, they came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when, you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Um, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Uh, one more time, let's pray over the reading of God's holy word. God, thank you so much for bringing us here. And thank you, Lord, that it, though it was my words that spoke, it was your word that we just heard. And I pray that that word would just seep into our hearts and maybe connect our minds with our hearts, Lord, because oftentimes there's such a disconnect there. I pray that you would heal and that you would set us free from our sins and from ourselves and do what only you can do in this room this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Now there's a, quite a buildup that I have to talk about just briefly uh, in regards to the Sermon on the Mount, especially when it comes to Jesus coming onto the scene, um, there's quite this angst uh, within the Jewish community 
for thousands of years, there has been a talk of a Messiah who would come and trample the head of a serpent. And there would be this king who would come and, and usher in his kingdom rule into all of the nations. And so they have this angst and they have this longing for that. And so they've seen glimpses of this ruler. They've seen glimpses of possibly this king coming, and it hasn't come yet. I, I go back to um, the Maccabees when they came and they, they destroyed the Greeks and they, they had this sense that, that maybe the king will come very soon. And so here's Jesus stepping into the scene and he gives a very political message right before chapter five when he says in chapter four, verse 23, for the kingdom. And he went throughout all of Galilee teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. That's first of Jesus's political message that he sends out to the Jewish people. The king is here. The king is now. The kingdom has come. You can taste it. You can feel it. He's right here at hand and he's right in front of you. Now, the problem is this message that Jesus just gave to his disciples is gonna be very disappointing, I'm sure, for those who are listening if you remember back last week, what is the kingdom of God? It's the rule and reign of God on this earth now. It is not some futuristic thing to be had, although that is a part of the kingdom rule, but it is something that we can experience now. Many dispensationalists believe that it is nothing that we can have now. It is only futuristic. But that's not what Jesus teaches here in this kingdom of now, kingdom here now. In fact, I would say that when Jesus uses this language, kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven, those words are used uh, synonymously. And before I get into this, uh, these, these blessed R's, I want to just kind of share just for a few seconds my brief concern about how we view um, the Beatitudes or how we view the, the sermon on the Mount. Um, we view this sometimes as the, the hashtag blessed life right? Like, here are the steps to live your best life now. Be meek, be humble, do these things. And we, we equate this Sermon on the Mount as if it were a list of things that we have to do in order to kind of get this beautiful, blessed, hashtag blessed life. But that's probably not it. No, not probably. That's not at all what this is. Because if you view this as a list, then how many of you are going to successfully do all of these things? No one want to take a stab at it? Neither do I. And I'm a pastor. I'm not meek sometimes. I'm definitely not a peaceful guy on the road. I'm, I'm a lot of these things, but there are many of these things I am not. So instead of viewing this as, how can I get the best relationship of my life? I know I'll do this blessed life that Jesus teaches here. Which, by the way, you know what a blessed life is? You, you want to know? Just cat out of the bag real quick. It, it's Jesus. You, you, you think you're going to go through all of these things and finally list them and do them all to the T. And you're going to have like some blessed rainfall down upon you and win the lottery, and do all of these things, and have the health, and wealth, and prosperity. But I would suggest you to read it again, because that's not exactly what happens. In fact, I would say that if we, 
we look at this as anything, it is what we call penance. It is a call for penance for us to constantly be in repentance because I can't, but Christ in me can. I can't live the meek life all the time, but you know who can through you? Jesus can. So before I get into that, look at verse number one, when he says, seeing the crowds, he sat down with his disciples. Let me ask you a question, like where is Jesus at? Is he in a temple? Is he in a building? Is he like in a, in a house where he wants this message to be just kind of concealed so that no one can hear it? No, Jesus is outside. Jesus is outside. In fact, his disciples are really the only one who are close together with him listening to this. But there are crowds around him also listening to this message. In fact, later on in chapter seven, the crowds were astonished and amazed by what Jesus has to say. They're curious by this message of the kingdom of God, but this is not exactly the kingdom message that they wanted to hear. This isn't the political insurrection that they wanted Jesus to tell them, all right, boys, go get your guns and swords. We're going to Rome. I don't know why I like default to Southern accent right there. Because y'all know it is. It's just always those Southern. They're always starting something. Come on, boys, y'all go get your guns. We're going to get them. We're going to march it to Washington. Yeah, this isn't, a, this isn't a physical insurrection. None at all. This is a Jesus giving his orders and his commands about a spiritual insurrection, that the kingdom of God is going to go and it's going to look a little bit different, boys. You can put your swords and you can put all that stuff down. Now, the Beatitudes, this is what Jesus gives us. The Beatitudes begins with a blessing, then reveals the characteristic of what it means to live in the kingdom, and then reveals the rewards of obedience. And this is why this isn't what they wanted to hear. Their assumptions of a good life, their assumptions of the hashtag blessed life was Jesus overthrowing Rome, right? It's, it's time, boys. It's finally. Maybe the Maccabees were right by overthrowing the Greeks, and now it's time for us who overthrow Rome. This is kind of the same, um, the same ideas that we have about Jesus because we're really not that different. We think Jesus is a means to an end. We think Jesus is here to give us blessings, give us um, the health, and give us all of these things and all of our indulgences that we want in life, but that's not at all what this message of the kingdom of Jesus here now is. It's a sermon about Jesus's kingdom versus our kingdom. So I'm gonna just pull these apart real quick and show you how this is Jesus's kingdom and how this is kind of at odds with the kingdom of some of us. Look at the first one. The kingdom of God's people are the, what, poor in spirit versus the people who are self-confident, self-reliant, spiritually sufficient, right? Blessed are those who are what? Who are poor, who aren't sufficient, who don't have enough of Christ. Blessed are those who are spiritually 
in poverty, who are longing for more of Jesus. Not blessed are those who are self-confident. Blessed are those who have a really good self-confidence about themselves. Do you see how this is counterculture? It's interesting how this was 2,000 years ago and nothing has changed. We are to live at our best selves with confidence, with our chest, you know, kind of puffed up and our head held high. And we are to, to proclaim like, I've got this because that's what culture and that's how you were brought up. That you are to appear like you have it all together. But look what the kingdom citizen looks like. Those who are, who are feathering the kingdom of God are not those who are spiritually um, prosperous. They're spiritually poor. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. You've been broken before. You're feeling like you just don't have enough right now to go on in life. You feel like you just don't have enough to like get out of bed. Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor in spirit for yours is the kingdom of God. And look what he says. Then he keeps going as if that weren't countercultural enough. Then he goes on to say, blessed are those who are mourners. Now this is, gives the implication or, or it gives us the idea that we are mourning sin instead of the people who are proud of their sin. Instead of people who are kind of um, exerting themselves and advancing their own agenda, this is people who are mourning their own depravity and sin. And not just your sin, but the sin of those around you and the sins of this world and the depravity of this world. Blessed are you who are mourning the sin because if it grieves the heart of God, it ought to grieve the heart of God's people. And then he goes on, the kingdom of God's people are the meek before God and before people instead of those who are proud and arrogant. This word meek is, or your Bible may say gentle or, or, or it says meek. And these things, you got to understand if they're on the outskirts listening to this kingdom message of Jesus is like, all right, boys, this is how we're going to run our kingdom. Blessed are those who are meek. And you got to understand, like the southern rednecks who are on the outskirts are got to thinking, like, wait a minute, I thought there was going to be a revolt. What happened to the way of Judas Maccabee where, where he went in and overthrew those jokers? So now we're kind of getting into this message of why this wasn't what they wanted to hear. I got to be gentle? I've, I've got to be meek? I'm supposed to be proud. No, the, in fact, the proud God knows from afar. He's looking for those who are gentle and meek. It goes on, the kingdom of God's people hunger for righteousness instead of people with no daily thought of Christ, no daily thought of being like Christ. It's the righteousness who will be satisfied. Now, many of us don't know what it feels to be hungry. You've been hangry, but you've never been hungry. Like to the effect where your belly is like eating at your spinal cord, right? Now, most of us, we've not experienced that type of hunger, but that's the type of hunger that Christ is looking for. 
I get the image of the third world country, those who are really experience hunger. There's a desperation if you're hungry. There's a desperation inside of you if you are at that level of hunger. Like I have got to get something into my system and if I don't, I'll die. That's what Jesus Christ is saying here. Not for those who are self-righteous and depend on their good works or depend on their righteousness to suddenly make them look good before God. That's not what Christ is looking for. Instead, he's looking for those who would humbly just lay themselves down and say, I'm hungry and I'm so desperate for you that if I don't have you, Christ, I will die. This goes and feathers what David said, that as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, oh God. Like we think of Bambi going into the meadow, just like, like slurping up a little piece of water. No, this is the image of this deer is going to die if it doesn't have water. That's the, that's, that's the position that we all must be in. And then it says the kingdom of God's people are those who are merciful towards others versus those who are unforgiving those who do not show an inch of mercy to anyone. Somebody's wronged you, like you've got to take it into your own hands and be the vigilante in the situation. Like we watch probably too much Batman or all of these other vigilante type of movies and we think we've got to insert ourselves into the situation because Batman does it. So I'm going to do it. They've wronged me. Who do they think they are? But Jesus said, blessed are those who are merciful um, to others. Then he goes on and says, those who are pure in heart, instead of those who are double-minded. Psalm 24 um, says, who will ascend to the hill of the Lord, but those who have clean hands and a pure heart. And he's not talking about this purity like on the external, right? He's not saying that those who have this outward look of purity, like you know those guys, they look good on the outside. Like you could just kind of look at them like, bro, you've never done anything in your life, right? Maybe you're sitting by that person. You know what I'm talking about? And that's not what Jesus is saying because you can look like you got it all put together But on the inside, Jesus calls you just a whitewashed tomb. There's nothing but death inside. So you can look like you can paint yourself up, but you won't be nothing but a pig with lipstick on. The analogies are flowing right now. But Jesus said, blessed are those who are pure inside of your heart. Man, what a call for anyone to come. And then a couple more, and then I'm gonna get into just a couple of practical things here. The kingdom of God's people, they pursue after peace instead of being so competitive and aggressive and always holding grudges. And lastly, this last one that just kind of took like the last shot into the hearts of the listeners. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness for his name's sake. Man, persecution, what? 
Could you imagine these jokers listening to Jesus say, hey, if you're persecuted in my name, which by the way, the prophets were persecuted. In fact, I'm really just kind of giving you a glimpse of what's about to happen to me and not just me, but about you too. Because we know Christ then goes and he bears the weight of sin and all of the world's depravity is put upon him and he's there on the cross to atone for the sins of the world. And he suffers and he dies a criminal's death. But, you know, Jesus is kind of almost giving them this foreknowledge of what's about to take place with them, these 12 or the 11 that's about to happen to them. Peter would go on, and preach the gospel and spread the good news of the kingdom of Jesus' rule now. And what did he get in return? Crucified upside down. Andrew, one of the disciples, went to the land that we know now as Russia and would spread the kingdom message, would go to Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and landed in Greece where he would eventually be crucified. Thomas the doubting guy, the one we always kind of kick around. The message was made real to him. And he, and he went and he spread the good news of the kingdom of the gospel of Jesus Christ that was here now, ended up in India and was pierced with four spears. And Philip ended in North Africa and then Asia Minor was cruelly put to death. Matthew, most people believe that he was stabbed to death. James, not Jesus's half-brother, although he was thrown off a roof and then pelted with rocks. But John's brother, James of Zebedee, was stoned and then clubbed to death. And he looks at him and he's, you know, Jesus knows what's about to happen to him. And he says, and blessed are you who will be persecuted for me. For yours is the kingdom of God. Ever been persecuted before? Maybe the spears haven't been thrown at you. In America, it's, it's difficult to think of persecution. But I don't, I don't want to like um, minimize anything that's, that you've been persecuted for. Maybe you've been, somebody's trash talked to you because of uh, your faith in Christ. I, I would say that's, that's maybe like stubbing your pinky toe type of persecution. We've been blessed in our country, but make no mistake, it's not always gonna be like that. Blessed are those who have been persecuted. This isn't the blessed life that they were probably waiting Jesus to tell them about, but this is the blessed life for those who are advancing the kingdom of God. I think of persecution right now. In fact, if you didn't know this, that there has never been a period of time on earth where we have seen more persecution than we have today. In, in Sudan, in China, in Iran, and, and on and on we can go. Over the last 10 or 20 years, we've seen more persecution than we have ever seen in the history of the church. And God would look at every single one of those who are being persecuted in his name and he would tell them, this is the blessed life. And just for a few things, just quick things. 
about what this kingdom message is about and this kingdom rule and what it brings to our lives and, and then kind of just reciprocating out of our lives, out into our culture, into our city. It brings peace with God. The kingdom of God, this message that Jesus has brings a peace within us. The offer that Christ gives you on the table, you want to live in the kingdom of God under his rule and reign, then you can live in peace. A life outside of constant anxiety, a life outside of constant chaos in your mind. Christ says, here's an offer on the table for you. You can have peace. And then like one of the things that probably just like really ticked these guys off is you can have access to God. Right, when he says, blessed are you and you will be called sons of God. Could you imagine how the priest and the religious elite would have reacted to that? Because who gave them access to God? They did. The religious leaders did. This is one of the reasons why we went through the Reformation again, so that because they viewed the Pope as the only guy through God. And Luther and Wycliffe and all of these men, they stood before them going, no. The Bible says that through Jesus Christ, in fact, Ephesians 2.18, if you would just read what the Bible says, through him we have both access to the Father by one spirit, where you are no longer aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. You have access to the God of creation. That's what his kingdom rule looks like. You don't have to come through me. You don't have to like, well, I guess if I need something, I'm going to go through the preacher. If I need prayer, if I, I need a word from the Lord, it's just got to come straight from the preacher. Nah, bro, you've got access to it. Open your Bible and it's right there. The living, breathing word of God. And you have access. Also, we have eternity with God you know who doesn't think about eternity? We don't, unless you do. But for the most of us, like we just don't think of like life after here. We don't think of like what happens in the beyond, right? But you know who's constantly thinking about eternity? Quite honestly, these disciples probably were. The Jews thought a lot about eternity. People who suffer, people in third world countries, they probably think a lot about eternity. This land was occupied by a tyrannical government. They taxed over a third of their income. Slavery, persecution. So eternity was something that really appealed to the listeners. And, and Jesus looks at him like, you want to spend eternity with God? Just come through me. Blessed are you. Nobody's thinking right now when I walk out this room, I'm going to trip up and die. Nobody thinks that. But we have eternity with God. And then lastly, like we have joy in suffering. So this is the thing about suffering. I know like suffering is a weird topic to talk about. The, the difference between a believer and a non-believer, right? We'll go, we'll go at it like this, is that 
when a believer goes through suffering, when a believer goes through some type of persecution or some type of trauma in our life, um, we know that Romans 8 would tell us that um, all things work together for the good for those who love the Lord. And I, look, I know that can, we can get into some deep waters right there. Um, but think about that. Not just the lightest things, but the deepest and darkest things God can turn for our good. And so through that, um, we can have joy. If, if for the non-believers then, uh, there's really no purpose in suffering. It doesn't work for your good. We can have joy. And, and I like joy. Um, joy is a little different than, than happiness. Now, I want to side note here, I like happy also. In fact, I think we could use a little bit more happy, right? Heather agrees. No one else does. Okay, good. Y'all, we need some more happiness up here in Cedar City. Okay? One more person pulls out in front of me, you know? I'm, here's the problem. Like, my happiness leaves. And I join in with the, the Western wave. Um, but joy is different. Because when something traumatic happens in your life, yeah, happiness is going to leave. You're not, and it's okay. Let the grief and let the sadness have its way. It's fine. But here's what you still get with Christ. Joy. Why do I have joy when I'm going through suffering? Like, that just seems so counterculture. I can have joy because I know Christ is with me. I know that despite whatever happens to me, I'm safe in his hands. I know that despite that whatever the enemy, whatever, you know, whoever in your life wants to throw at you, I know that God has me and is not going to let me go. Friend, Christ has you. And that is a reason why you can have joy He's not going to let you go, right? I mean, you know, because when you're going through like a type of persecution or suffering or trauma, like you probably got your fist waved in the air asking God, who do you think you are doing this to me? You think God's up in the heaven going, oh no, he's questioning me. What do I do? No. He's not that weak, fragile God that you think he is. He can handle it. He's a bigger man than anybody is, all right? And he could handle anything that you go through and just know that he will be with you through that. That's why we can have joy. Blessed are you. That's the blessed life. That's what Christ came to do with this message of the kingdom of God. Am I saying that some of us need to be poor in spirit, always in need of God to provide for us? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Am I saying that we need to mourn over the depth of sin around us and the sin in us? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Am I saying that we are to be meek and, and humble ourselves before the holy God? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Am I saying that we need to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Am I saying that we need to allow Christ to purify us from the inside? yes purify us from our depravity. Yes, that's what I'm saying. 
Am I saying that I need to be a peacemaker and to, and to usher in that peace out into the city? Yeah, that's, that's what we're saying here. Am I saying that I might be persecuted and insulted if I take the message of Jesus out there? Yeah, that's, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. That's the gospel living. That's kingdom living. That's what the kingdom citizens do. And that's how we live now, just real quick, and I'm going to close. These Beatitudes, again, I've got to just kind of overstate this, that this is not the determining factor of your salvation. It's not, hey, Christian, if you live like this, if you just dot your I, cross your T, fill in the blank, do all of these things, then you'll be a Christian. No, it's just you are a Christian. Therefore, the gospel is going to explode out of your life, and this is how it looks. That's what this is saying. This is not, again, saying that if you do these things, you'll reap so many blessings from heaven. It's more of a, you're going to fail at some of these, and that's okay. We walk humbly before the Lord, and we trust him that through Christ Jesus in us, we'll accomplish this, not through our own works. You won't be perfect, but please understand, you will be different now, I know like some of you are thinking like, well, we know you're different, right? We saw it the first time we met you. Yeah, you're not gonna be perfect, but it's a call to be different. It's a call to live counter culture. So let me pray for us this morning. 